Well, good morning, uh, Village Church faithful and guest. Apparently, I am not Pastor Alex Shipman. I am Amos Williams. I am the uh, pastoral intern here at the Village Church, and I have the privilege of bringing God's word before you today. I do want to thank the Village Church uh, for the opportunity to uh, speak today and just thank God for life and breath and health and a few smiling faces in the room uh, with me. And so as I pray, as I preach today, I, I pray and hope that you will be in prayer with me. Now, Village Church faithful, y'all know that I have been preaching through the book of James for about the past two years. And today <laughs> we are going to go back to James and we're going to look at James chapter four. Now, if you're following along in your bulletin, the bulletin says verses one through 17. And as I was doing my exegetical work, I said, you know, I don't think the village church wants me to preach on all 17 verses because then it would be like a 24-hour news cycle. This sermon would never end, right? So instead, today we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. That's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. Please listen carefully. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, before the Lord and he will exalt you. The word of the Lord. Now, today, 
as we work through this passage, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to ask yourself is if what James is saying about this church can be said about you. You see, the seriousness of what James is addressing in these 10 verses cannot be exaggerated. James is calling the church to repent because of their worldly passions. And their worldly passions have made them the enemies of God. Their only hope is total submission to God in humility, which will ultimately bring God's exaltation. So the preceding chapters give us the context for what we find here in verses uh, in verses one through ten. See, there were certain individuals in this church that were pursuing their own selfish ambitions in order to attain status within the church. In chapter three, verse eighteen, James write, writes that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And now he turns his attention directly to address the conflict which is happening in this church. And if you are familiar with James, as I know the village church faithful are, you know that James presents his message straight with no chaser. Again, the seriousness of what is happening in this passage cannot be exaggerated. So James begins chapter 4 with two questions. And the second question is an answer to the first question. He writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then with his second question, he answers, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? This word for passion here is where we get the English word hedonism. And this, this is a passion that places pleasure above all things. It is a passion that selfishly seeks fulfillment by any means necessary. It is passion unhinged. It is passion untamed. It is passion without restraint. And it is this unrestrained passion that is the source of war and conflict and quarrels and fights in this church. You see, my brothers and sisters, the quarrels and the fights come from within. The source is internal, not external. And I, I want to pause kind of parenthetically to say, contrary to what you might believe, your problem or your issue may not be with the person in front of you. The problem that you are facing, the conflict that you are facing, quite possibly could be from your own passions from within you. I know that, you know, it, it's quarantine time, so some of us are not going into the office. But a lot of us have to do Zoom conference calls. And there may be that one individual is that as soon as their face pops up on the Zoom screen, you get an attitude. But it's not that the issue is with that person. It is 
that the issue is coming from the passion that lies within you. That, that one was for, for free. Now, in, in verse 2, James begins to point out the, the futility of this worldly passion. He writes, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And I want to I stop right there because James is pointing out something that I think is very important. There is a cycle of futility that worldly passion produces. And I'm going to call it the crazy cycle. It is an example of pure insanity, which is doing the same thing, expecting different results. And this is this is the cycle. The cycle is that quarrels and fights come from their worldly passions. But when their worldly passions go unfulfilled, it causes fights and quarrels. So then they fight and quarrel because of their worldly passions and their unfulfilled worldly passions causes them to fight and quarrel. And the cycle continues and it never ends. It is a cycle of futility which never produces its desired result. And in the second half of verse 2 and into verse 3, James points out something else that I find very important. He points out that within this church, there is both a lack of prayer and there is also improper prayer. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. A lack of prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, there were some in this church who, due to their worldly passions, their selfish ambitions, they weren't consulting God at all. And there were others who were praying to God simply to indulge their worldly passions. So this verse shows us that contrary to what some may believe, there is a wrong way to approach a holy God. There is, in fact, a wrong way to pray. And James will show us later in this text the proper way to approach a holy God. But in this verse, he is showing us that when worldly passions are the motivation for prayer, we aren't praying the right way. Listen to how our confession defines prayer. The the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism defines prayer as an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. My brothers and sisters, is that how you pray? Is that how you pray, my brothers and sisters? Could it be said that you pray the will of God? And someone may ask, but doesn't the Bible say that he'll give us the desires of our heart? The right desires of your heart. What if your desires are wrong? Someone may ask, 
But doesn't it say that if I ask anything in Jesus' name, then he says I'll, I'll get it, right? Well, let me put it to you plainly. If you ask or you say something in my name, it better represent me well. So when we're asking in the name of Jesus, we ought to be praying his will. James moves along in verse 4 to use some of the strongest language that we find in this letter. And if you want to talk about a shock factor, this is it. But my brothers and sisters, this is this is no shock factor for controversy's sake. No, no, no. James is trying to help this church realize the danger that they are in. Look at verse four with me. He says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. My Lord. This language is is reminiscent of the Old Testament prophets when when they prophesied God's judgment on Israel for their unfaithfulness. See, my brothers and sisters, there were some in this church who were so consumed with their worldly passions that God had turned against them. So the futility of their quarreling and fighting has now been coupled with the futility of being an enemy of God. This should have been terrifying for them. Let me make it plain for you. It would be terrifying to be in a ring And look across the ring and see that Mike Tyson was your opponent. But this church that James is writing to, when they looked across the ring, their opponent was the Lord God Almighty and his anointed. Jesus is not the heavyweight champion of the world. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe and he is undefeated. My brothers and sisters, you don't want to do battle with the one who defeated death and hell and sin and the grave. My brothers and sisters, God is ultimately concerned with his glory. That is what all of redemptive history is about. Jesus' death and resurrection are unspeakably beneficial for the the believer, for the life of the believer, but the gospel is ultimately about the glory of God. And verse 5 shows us this. It says, Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So rather than Pursuing worldly pleasures, God desires for the spirit within us to worship him. This spirit that is spoken of in verse 5 is the inner life that God has given us. And God desires good and true worship 
from the spirit that he has given to mankind. The amazing thing is that God has given grace. He's given grace to his children, which overcomes worldly passions. And verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. I like the translation that says he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, God is so concerned about his glory that God will destroy the agenda of those who pursue worldly passion, but he will graciously support those who are humble. My brothers and sisters, this this grace that God provides to us is not licensed to sin. You see, Paul writes in Romans Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, by no means, God forbid, because we who have died to sin can can no longer live in it. So this grace is not licensed to sin. It is the lifeline for righteousness in the life of his children. And verse 7 begins with a command in light of that grace that God gives to the humble. It begins with the phrase, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Now, similarly, verse 10 begins with the parallel phrase, humble yourself before the Lord. Submission, humility. Submission is bringing yourself into complete alignment with the will of God under his sovereign lordship. Humility is admitting your total dependence on God for his grace. So James is now about to call this church to turn from their worldly passions. He's going to call them to repentance and faith in God. Look at verses 7 through 10 with me. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. Before the Lord and he will exalt you. These verses again are reminiscent of the Old Testament. These four verses along with verse verse four remind us of the Old Testament people of God. When Israel, the Old Testament people of God, when they pursued their worldly passions, they became unfaithful to God. They worshipped created things instead of the creator. They went after other gods. They turned their back on the true and living God. But God was a faithful husband. But Israel became an adulterous people. Even after Israel repeatedly broke covenant with God, God remained faithful to his covenant. James here is using this Old Testament language to call this church to faith and repentance. 
There must be a change in their disposition. To laugh shows how lightly they took what was happening in the church. So there must be a change in their disposition. They must understand the gravity and the seriousness of their sin. They must grieve over their sin and turn back to God in submission and humility. And turning back to God will bring his exaltation, not the exaltation of man going to run out that's fleeting that's temporary it won't serve you well but the exaltation of god lasts forever my brothers and sisters the funny thing about this passage is that there's no explicit mention of jesus in this in in these 10 verses but it's hard to, to read this passage and miss the ways that it points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, much of what James has described here has been adapted from the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. But more than that, I want you to see how Jesus has lived for us, verses 7 through 10. You see, Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Jesus fulfilled the rituals of the law, and now his blood cleanses the hands of sinners and purifies our hearts. Jesus resisted the devil in the wilderness, and the devil fleed from him. Jesus drew near to God in times of prayer and solitude. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in his humility, Jesus was exalted in resurrection. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That is supreme exaltation. What other religion, what other worldview can say that humility brings exaltation? So as I get ready to close this message out, I have a couple of points of of application for you. And I promise when I say I'm getting ready to close, I'm actually getting ready to close. Points of A point of application for you, if you remember at the outset of this sermon, I ask you, can it be said of you the same things that James is saying about this church? Can it be said that you are pursuing worldly passion and not the will of God? Have your circumstances caused you to selfishly pursue your own selfish ambitions your own worldly passions. Even more directly, has this pandemic caused you to grieve over your sins or has it caused you to grieve only over the things that your worldly passions desire? If so, my brothers and sisters, I bid to you, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. 
Repent of your sins and trust and believe in the gospel. Amen.